Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so excited that you're coming back this week and that you continue to download and subscribe and share this podcast to give us validity and visibility. So today I am so thrilled, as I kind of promised you last time, that I have back in the Gay With God house, we have Michael Crumpler. And when when we finished last time, and if, you, if you've already listened to Michael's first podcast with me, um, I, I kind of preempted that with one of my live Facebook posts that there was a, a cut in um, my, my editing style that I, there was something that was about to happen. And Michael and I took a pause. Uh, we discussed that we needed to go deeper and that we didn't have time to do that so that we would do a whole nother podcast. And my editing is um, <laughs> my editing capability showed itself where there was a definite cut in the, in the podcast and it wasn't smooth, not even a little bit, but that actually is depicting for you the coming out faith journey pro- process, because it is, is, as Michael has says, it gets worse before it gets better. And that's what we're here to talk about today is how did it, it get worse for Michael after he came all the way out and he figured it out and now he's already gay and oh, oh here we go. But then it got worse before it got better. So Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Great to be here oh. um, with you. Yes. And so, yeah, uh, I think that's a great place. To let me, let me go back a little bit and say, I love the gay with God house. <laughs> Oh, and you know, I didn't even read your bio. So, um, okay, hang on just a second, everybody. This is how Midge just gets so excited and I can't wait to get everybody on. (laughs) And then I even forgot to tell you who's in the house. So hang on. So in the house, we have Reverend Michael Crumpler. He works as the LGBTQ and Multicultural Programs Director at the Unitarian Universalist Association and is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Michael lives in Brooklyn, New York, and is very active in social justice ministry at the historic Judson Memorial Church of New York City, where he served as president of the board from 2016 to 2018. He is most passionate about intersectional ministry centered in Blackness, queerness, HIV, AIDS, economic justice, and emotional well-being. Michael has been published in two groundbreaking works related to HIV and AIDS on curating issue 42, What You Don't Know About AIDS Could Fill a Museum, and Spiritual Care in the Age of Hashtag Black Lives Matter. So I apologize for that, everybody, but yeah, I just get excited about starting sometimes and I forget things Anyway, you're, yes, I'm glad you love it. You are back in the Gay with God house. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, my friend, Michael, tell us how it got worse before it got better. Well, thank you so much again for having you're me back. Welcome. And thank you for reading the bio. It's, it's For me, it's very centering, mm-hmm. um, particularly when I am in spaces where I am called to reflect mm-hmm. upon my experience because um, sharing all, honestly and authentically um, for I think for all of us, for, for, for many of us can be horrifying, which is why it is um, indeed labor. Mm. Um, I remember from our conversation earlier in part one, mm-hmm. um, where I, I sort of slip of the tongue or just naturally said, and you know, when I, when I became positive, I, I said something like, finally. Finally. <laughs> finally. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, 
I want to like revisit that because I mm-hmm. think that there's something something interesting there. I think mm-hmm. you know not that um, anyone there you know who becomes positive, HIV positive that is, um, deserves it or 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 it will eventually get you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there is um, a way in which HIV AIDS HIV and AIDS has been labeled as punishment or consequences or any or, or anything like that um, because there are people who have um, you know sexually liberated lives that that uh, that, are, that that don't end up being positive both um, gay or otherwise and so um, for me though it was it was the breaking of a dam I experienced becoming positive as 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 liberation um, and I know that not everybody has that experience. I know that for many people who become HIV positive, it can be terrifying. For many people, it is a death sentence, uh, uh, depending on where you are, um, you know, socially located, um, particularly for straight uh, Black women, for um, a lot of people who are not out about their sexuality, of men who have sex with men, and a lot of people who just don't have the... Um, ability to navigate health systems and social spaces. Um, but for me, uh, it speaks to how, how um, deep I was vested in, how deeply I was vested in, in just not coming out and not being honest about my sexuality. And a lot of it had to do less about um, shame and more about just, you know, stubbornness. Mm. You know, when I think about the trauma that I experienced, both um, sexual abuse and and bullying, there mm-hmm. was a way in which I didn't want those experiences to, um, to be vindicated. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, I just did not want people to be right about what they were, assuming that I was, um, which was, which was gay. And that, um, is, is, is just something that's true. Now, all of that is a function of, you know, shame and homophobia and, and the way in which our society is structured around, you know, who, who has a right to be successful and who has a right to, um, to, to just be, to exist. And so all of that was just kind of piled up on top of me. So when I talk about being, becoming HIV positive, finally, I think that it just kind of, for me, it became an opportunity, an opportunity to be honest and an opportunity to, to, to face squarely who I was and, and, and how, I, um, how I was, uh, you know, wired or created, as some would say. So it, it was honest. It mm-hmm. allowed me the opportunity to be honest without much pretense, without having to, like, I'm HIV positive, I'm gay, and... Um, and I'm, and, and now it's just time for me to accept that about myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed to accept that about myself because, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned, I didn't have any connections with people who were who were gay or or, or what have you. And, and what I mean by connections is I just didn't know much about the the um, the community, the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. I didn't understand the politics. I didn't know that, um, but I did know that if I was going to survive this thing, I need to be around my people. Mm-hmm. and yeah. and that for me began a journey of 
of, of, of connecting. I wouldn't even say reconnecting, but connecting with the queer community in a real way because I knew that I, in order to survive, I would need to be around people who, who share my experience and not just in a sexual way, but really in a social way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that um, being HIV positive and living with AIDS is for, 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 for many people is an opportunity to connect. Um, there is a deep connection there um, in the shared experience of coming through. There are elders who have been through it. There is a shared history, a shared past, shared experience. When you meet someone who is HIV positive, they have a story. And so that's what I did. I, um, as I mentioned before, relocated to Chicago and, you know, kind of separated myself from the baggage of God and church and religion and a lot of ways, even, even family. Mm-hmm. But what I found was that being gay um, is more than just sex and gay bars and sex clubs and sex parties and, and so forth. But it took me a while to get there. I mean, when I came out, I thought that, that because that was what I was doing in secret, now this was an opportunity to do this publicly. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm out. I can do what I want now. I don't have to worry about lying. I don't have to worry about hiding. I don't have to worry about sneaking off. I don't have to worry about keeping secrets. I don't have to worry about all these things. And and quickly, I realized that just because you're out doesn't mean that you don't do those things. Mm-hmm. Just because you're out doesn't mean, because you're still the same person and you still have the same baggage and I still have the same, um, the same fears and the same, and all of that all of that um, sort of came out um, in in that two and a half year period for me uh, in my mid in my mid thirties. It all sort of came to fruition. I am an avid James Baldwin fan. I think any black gay man, uh, uh, many black gay men uh, have embraced James Baldwin as our you know godfather, if you will, around you know. Blackness and 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 queerness, and uh, one of uh, in Go Tell It on the Mountain, James Baldwin speaks of the threshing room floor, and and it's if you don't know if you're not charismatic or Pentecostal, um, you know you may not be familiar with you know spiritual these kinds of spiritual experiences where we're caught up in the spirit and it's almost like a like I would say an exorcism if you will. Of, of, of what we're going through. And, I, and that's sort of how I, how I label this period, almost a, a dark night of the soul, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was a lonely place. It was a dark place. And I was willing to, um, I, I was still so, 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 so hungry for a relationship and so hungry for a connection. Mm-hmm. And that uh, took me to the, to the darkest places of addiction. And this is somebody who, I was a good boy. I mean, if you're following the story mm-hmm. here, I, you know, was a good boy. I did my homework. I ate my vegetables. <laughs> you know, I mean, I made curfew. I made my bed, um, both, uh, you know, domestically and socially. I did the things that I was supposed to do. And I did those things. I did everything that I was supposed to do because I had this uh, warped view that, um, if I do everything right, God will reward me. If I do mm-hmm. everything that I'm supposed to, God will bless me. And whatever this, um, you know, need is to have sex with men or to um, live in a way that was hip- hip- you know hypocritical that, that God would somehow overlook that because 
I'm a good person and I do mm-hmm. otherwise all the right things. And so mm-hmm. drugs was not drugs, alcohol, that just was not anything that I had ever experienced before. And uh, in the gay community, um, crystal meth addiction is, is very um, insidious because oftentimes those of us who find our way to that drug know nothing about drugs. And, you know, when you have uh, surrounded yourself in a community that is so connected and so close-knit and, and with such a shared experience, you end up doing, you know, whatever anyone else does from wearing a crop top to, you know, um, to, 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 to drugs and drinking and parties. You just kind of follow the herd, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, um, you know, alcohol and drugs, mainly crystal meth, um, has become like a hazing, if you will, in a lot of sexual communities uh, in, in a lot of places. Um, it is very rampant, it is very dark, and it's socialized in a way that, that doesn't seem, it's not like crack or heroin. You know, I, I, could, I could honestly say that if I saw someone doing heroin, I'd run the other way. Mm-hmm. If I saw someone doing crack, I would run the other way. But crystal meth is different. Um, and, and all of us have hangups around sex anyway, and there's a way in which that drug lowers your inhibitions and makes you do things that you only wish you could do (laughs) (laughs) under normal circumstances. And, you know, in a, in an environment where sexuality is, is, is an athletic experience, um, you know, we're all trying to push the limits of, of, of what it is that, that, that is, that is being done to prove acceptance, um, you know, sex, for me, in my experience, sex in the gay community is, is really the, the, the key to social, social, social acceptance. And so um, I, I went in head over heels and, you know, because I, you know, I think one of the, one of the things too that, that I've realized in, during this time is how deeply loved I am mm. uh, by, by the people that love me. Mm-hmm. I think that that was something that I needed to really, really grasp. And when I say loved, I mean, you know, by my, my, my family, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was a way in which they, when I came out, I was, you know, they, everyone said the right things, you know, <laughs> but I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was angry because, you know, it was part of me was like, well, if I, had I known this before, you never acted like it would have been okay if I came out. Had I known this before, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, uh, you know. Struggled so successfully. Struggled so successfully. Thank yes. you. Thank you perfectly. <laughs> had I known this before, so there was a part of that that, that, was, that was angry, but the, the, the addiction, you know, um, the addiction journey for me was really, really an opportunity to test that at that love I was always I, I from my perspective I was always the one who was showing love showing acceptance mm-hmm. bending over backwards uh, catering to everyone's uh, every every need showing up for everyone um, dutifully being that good boy mm-hmm. and for me addiction was an opportunity for me to to um, to I would you know to, to test or to experience that love in in return so um, yeah I mean it was it was it was horrifying. It was also fun at times. It was also um, liberating at times. I was able to 
free myself from caring about what people thought, which 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 was crippling for me. Um, and you know, I had never uh, done anything wrong ever from. <laughs> showing up to work on time, well, maybe not on time, but certainly showing up to work and, you know, going to church and doing all the good things. And, and addiction for me was a way for me to, um, to really, really uh, experience that shadow side um, mm. in daylight. And so mm. I, um, luckily, the love of my family pulled me in. Um, uh, I went to, you know, I moved, I moved home number one, which is something that I hadn't really ever planned on doing. Um, I found myself uh, on, you know, my mother's couch and, or in my sister's spare bedroom um, and needing to ask for things in a way that I'd never been asked before because I prided myself on being self-sufficient. So it was just a very, very humbling experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eventually um, I found my way to, into recovery, into rehabilitation, into uh, the, uh, the rooms of 12-step recovery. And so, um, and that to me was the, was the, was the, was the, was the beginning of the, of, of, was really the true opportunity for me to really, really uh, not just come out in a social way or in a political way, but really, really reconnect with my higher power in a way that for me was so healing and so mm -hmm. healthy because in my past, God was either, you you know, for you or against you. Uh, either you were um, living, you know, uh, you know, a straight or, you know, moral life, or you weren't, you were going to heaven or hell. And recovery made me um, experience God differently. And I remember, almost remember the day or even the moment where I was able to say, where I was for the first time in, you know, two and a half years, feeling free from drugs, mm. feeling free from the obsession, free from the, not just, you know, feeling like, wow, like this is really working for me. I really, I, I um, am not going to die this way. Um, and it was like, if God can do this for me, and it was very much a spiritual experience, and I can't explain, like, it was just really, and it wasn't just like a, it was, it was a social thing, too. It was a, it was a community. It was a, it was the connections that I was experiencing. It, it was the way that, for me, recovery was structured. If God could do this for me, then who I am, maybe who I am is not necessarily a barrier to having a, a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so through a, through, a, through a series of, you know, rehabilitation and what I mean by rehabilitation, not just like, you know, like rehab in the, in mm -hmm. the traditional sense, but just mm -hmm. re, um, recovering my life, uh, getting my life back on track, asking deeper questions of who am I and what do I want to be and what are my gifts and what is it that I have innately in me that I can offer the world? Um, it got me back to church, like literally. I um, became willing after probably three years or, so, or more to to cross into cross over the threshold of a church. My own and my only um, my only requirement was that the 
was that the community be one that is that is you know affirming, that mm-hmm. is accepting, that is inclusive. Um, something that I had never never experienced before um, in a religious sense. I didn't even know how that worked. I'm like, how do you get past all the passages? How do you get past all the theology? How do you get past even just the um, the attitudes mm-hmm. of religious people, whether they're in your in your in your church or not? Certainly, my family religiously is, is very conservative. So even the idea of them knowing that I go to a church where I can openly be gay was just very like, horrifying and confusing, but I was willing to go. And what I experienced was like peace and acceptance. And it was similar enough to, you know, there were hymns, there was an offertory, there was mm-hmm. communion, there were ushers, you know, there was fellowship, you know, donuts. It was, it was, it was <laughs> It was close enough to what I had experienced all my life um, without me having to lie or feel like I was holding something back. I remember the first time that I went to to an MCC church Mm -hmm. and and it was in Greensboro. And Mm -hmm. I was amazed that they sung hymns that I recognized. I was amazed that they did like that the preacher actually did a sermon that wasn't just gay specific. It was an actual sermon. And I was just amazed by the whole thing. And I just took in like all of these, you know, gay couples, you know, with arms around each other singing the hymns. And it was like, my brain split in half to see gayness and spirituality. And it was like, wait, I can't put the two together. It's like oil and water right here. It's mixing. I know it's happening. How does this happen? So, yeah, I get what you're saying. It was just, and, and so my question before you move on is, were you still living at your mom's house in the South when you reconnected to church? Because I'm wondering where would one go in South Carolina? So actually, uh, very interesting. I'm so glad that you, you brought back there. So, so, um, so this is in North Carolina. This right, is, North Carolina, right? No, Raleigh, um, okay. North Carolina is where my my sisters live, and my okay. mom lives. You know, about 45 minutes out in the country yeah. where my where my family is from, and um, and my sister is tough. Um, we actually lost her um, mm. in 2016. So Aww. it's um. What is it? Twenty twenty two. Now, so it's been about all coming on on six years since we lost mm-hmm. her. She um, had had a heart transplant, and, and it went mm-hmm. into rejection, and we lost her. But before she before we lost before she lost her life, she saved mine mm-hmm. by um, really just being honest. My sis, we're all about you know I don't say we are we're all about the same age. I think there's four of us. We're two years apart, and this is my oldest sister, and I was living with her, um, sort of couch surfing between her and my mom, and. She didn't necessarily know what was going on because I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't act much different. I just was um, not my, not myself. And she just said, I don't know what's going on, but you know, if you're doing drugs, you can't live here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was serious and it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. there just was a boundary. So I, I really highly um, encourage anyone who, uh, who has someone struggling in their life to really, really be clear about your boundaries. It's like, mm-hmm. she, you would think that she went to Al-Anon, <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't where, you know, um, and so she was just really clear and she encouraged me to seek help. And I did. Um, and, and, um, 
And so by that time I had moved out and had found uh, um, a, a, a rehab facility and next door to the rehab facility was, uh, was a church in Chapel Hill. And, um, and so on the one hand, uh, while they were there for me, they didn't necessarily enable me to hold my hand. Um, so I was able to, you know, again, disconnect, but this time in a way that was, um, was really me um, getting myself together, getting my life together. And part of that journey was me, you know, willing to, to return to church um, mm-hmm. uh, as well as willing to, um, um, w- after a while, after a while of going to church and obviously being sober, I, um, I was able to become open to returning to seminary uh-huh. because I knew that if, you know, for me, uh, the way the way addiction works is that if if you don't really, it's a holistic thing. It's not just about putting down the drugs. It's really about going deeper and and um, connecting with who you really are and what you really desire. To me, addiction is is almost like an indicator. It's like that red light in your mm-hmm. life that reminds you that you're not happy. Reminds you that your circumstances are unsustainable, no matter what they are. It can be as, as, as simple as, you know, not having, not having access to food, not having access to housing, not having, not having the right relationships, not being in the right relationships. And this isn't, you know, just about gay folks. This is anyone, anyone struggling Mm -hmm. with addiction, addiction, Mm -hmm. and that obsession to betray yourself uh, and betray your values and betray your ethics is really a cry, an internal cry for help. And not mm-hmm. help from the outside world, really just inside of yourself saying, I'm really in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it doesn't always feel dangerous. No one's it's not like anyone's chasing you down the street. It's just your soul that's, mm-hmm. that's crying out with unhappiness, which is why I believe that so many people um, who are queer, so many people who are black and brown, so many people um, are carrying around that deeper sense of unhappiness in the culture and, and context of our lives here in this mm-hmm. country. And that's kind of what we do to, mm-hmm. to cope. It's a coping mechanism. And so I had to re, re-engineer mm-hmm. everything about my life. And part of that was just me um, going back to what I was saying around like, who do I want to be? Where do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Where do I want to live? How do I want to live my life? And part of that for me was was accepting that oh my goodness I love ministry mm. I I love theology I love and there was a way in which if I can't be my full self then I don't want to be at all mm. and so you know um there were a series of you know number one being embracing accepted by that church and being trusted by by that church being trusted by the ministers not like they were handing over responsibilities to to, to a drug addict per se but just being seen as something Mm -hmm. other than um someone who was um cursed or bad or sinful um and and with value and dignity and respect kind of reconnected me to my calling now not every gay person who becomes a crystal meth addict is 
going to be called to ministry when they get sober. Right. That's not it. Right. What I, what I do believe, though, is that anybody who, and, and even with or without drugs, anybody on the other side of, of coming out, um, particularly those of us who, who have a connection with God in the, in the traditional sense or with spirituality in a traditional sense, me will benefit greatly from reconnecting with that spiritual side. And yeah. I think that once you do that, the, the, the world opens up mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a fresh and new way. And we're probably going to have to pause here because I think I have a delivery. <laughs> and soon you will hear. A ding dong. But they probably won't. No, you're going to hear. Can you hear that? Yeah, the dog. So <laughs> we have one that knows how to howl. One that's not sure. One that I do believe is on crack. And all she does <laughs> is scream. <laughs> she needs program. Yeah. Okay. Hang on just a second. Let me see if I can get them quiet. This may take a deeper intervention. I'll be right back. Okay. Hey, are we under attack? Is there anything I need to know besides the fact that we had a delivery? Are we good? Are we good? Mona, honey, lie down, lie down. So the sad news is that it wasn't even a delivery. Oh, my God. So how could that be? All right. (laughs) Okay. So we'll come back from the pause now. So what I really love about what you're saying is that when you came back to the ministry, it, it mm-hmm. wasn't because you were trying to get God to like you. Mm-hmm. It is because you found like, finally found the love for yourself to know mm-hmm. here is how I can show up in the world. These mm-hmm. are my gifts and this is what I love. And this is how I can give back to, mm-hmm. to my life. So I love that part that it became not just that same pattern of getting God to like you because yeah. you stepped out of being the good, the good child. Uh, mm-hmm. It's because you know who you are now and you want to give back. I also thought if we went back for a minute, when you were talking about being positive mm-hmm. and the word finally for me, I think works so great at the end of that sentence, mm-hmm. I became fine. I became positive And finally, Mm-hmm. I could start to live my life in a more authentic mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. I love, I don't, well, when you were talking earlier, I just think it, I was thinking we need to just put that word at the other end of the sentence because yeah. it works so beautiful in that sentence anyway. So I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think that that is, that is so true. Again, there's a way in which really all of these things that, that, that we are right. All of these things that 
that I think our our personhood, our mm-hmm. our bodies, our mm-hmm. identities, mm-hmm. experiences tragic and negative are really, really opportunities mm-hmm. for, for us to move into a radical honesty. Mm-hmm. And the sadness about stigma and shame and guilt is that it really takes these opportunities and weaponizes them uh, into in into 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 a, a darker space than mm-hmm. you're already in. I wasn't so much. I was more afraid of of what people would think about me being HIV positive than I was about actually being HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Ashamed of what people would think about me um, using drugs or using crystal meth specifically than I was of the drug itself. Like there was mm. a way I was more, and, and the same thing, I was more afraid of what people would think about, you know, my sexuality than I was really about the sexuality, you know, because mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as threatening as the attitudes and the words and the messages that I was receiving from, from people outside of me internally um, I wasn't so much as suffering uh, from from the actual thing as much as I was suffering from, you know, what what it would do to my relationships, what these situations mm-hmm. and circumstances would do to my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, it took me, you know, almost 40 years, 40 years to realize that um, that it's more important for me to value myself mm-hmm. privilege myself first which again is something that is that is completely warped in christian speak right mm-hmm. because it talks about a selfishness and sin mm-hmm. and ego and um as if you're you know self-serving mm-hmm. but what you, what and so therefore it's really really hard to 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 embrace you know who you are and and, and and what you need first and so but just like they say you have to in order for you to be of any value to to anyone else in the world you you, you have to you know put your own oxygen mask on first yes on your, your own life preserve first mm-hmm. if not you know you're just going to be fighting mm-hmm. with whoever else that you're that you're trying to uh, live in relationship with and community with so Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love, I love that too, that self-care is so important and knowing, knowing yourself and loving yourself is the, Mm -hmm. is the first step of being able to reach out to others because we Mm -hmm. can't do that in a way of any kind of quality. If we don't first acknowledge that we're worth, worth it, you know, we have to believe in our value and our worth in order to reach out. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like it's not none of this is easy. The hardest part about doing this kind of uh, communication where we're, you know, talking about life or writing about life or speaking publicly or what have you is that it's really difficult to um, to articulate the amount of like work that it will take, which is why it's so much easier to to abandon self, mm-hmm. to, to self-harm. Um, mm-hmm. 
because it, it's not easy. It requires, you know, it's that, again, that threshing room floor, if you will, it requires a kind of cathartic work that few um, are, have the capacity or the space to be able to, mm. to be able to really, really do. And so I just really appreciate those days that really gave me space to, mm. to run, to bike ride, to, to journal, to work part-time, to, to engage in therapy and counseling and, you know, spiritual work to read, you know, to play, to, you know, um, do things that were really, in a lot of ways, just a big pause. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know I needed it. I thought I was fine. I thought Mm -hmm. that my problem was just drugs, or I thought my problem was just other people. Mm -hmm. But the kind of self-reflection doesn't mean that you quit, or you move out, or you go on a pilgrimage, or you know, mm-hmm. not, again, not everyone has the opportunity to do that, but it does right. mean that, that you give yourself space to slow down. And I think mm-hmm. when we talk about um, surrender mm-hmm. and acceptance, it's um, number one, when, when we let others know that we need a break, then that allows um, people to come in and support us in a way. And it may not be, it's not going to always be the people in your life. You might be in an abusive relationship. You might um, have have children, you might have, but in our own way, we have to find space mm-hmm. to, to breathe and to take a break. And it was during that time that I personally was able to reflect and, and really um, give myself a chance to build the relationships that I needed that were wholesome enough and, and, and authentic enough to get me across to the other side mm-hmm. of, of life to where, you know, in my experience where I am today, um, you know, where I was able to again return to a seminary that was a safe space for me to mm-hmm. reconnect with a spiritual tradition that was that was more consistent with who I was as a as a person. And um and it and I can't and it sounds like you know, if I were hearing myself speak years prior to now, I would, I would, I would, I wouldn't believe it. But I believe it because this experience is not just unique to me. It's really unique to to so many people that I know who are in my life today, um, and I'm constantly hearing about how people who for years lived in the shadows, for years um, didn't know how to love ourselves, for years um, did destructive things because we were labeled as destructive people. And so um, it's very, very important for, 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 for folks to know that that's not you mm-hmm. and that's not uh, who you are, that's not who you were created to be. And again, regardless of your religious experience, regardless of you know your background or your upbringing, um, you were created for, for something more or you exist for something more, even if creation mm-hmm. language is not your language. It's very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you went back to seminary, were, 
were you able to connect back and, and get into the groove of that? Because that, you know, when you talk about finding space to, you know, to take that break, seminary is not a break from what I've heard. <laughs> That's really tough. <laughs> so had you been, had you been able to break enough to, to not break under the structure and the harshness me, of seminary? <laughs> no, I mean, that's a, that's a really, really, um, you know, good question because I mean, yeah, it was a hard time. I think that again, for me though, again, I can't, you know, I think yeah. that again, seminary is not for everyone. For me though, because I had spent so much of my life studying mm-hmm. theology, my undergrad was in Bible and theology. I had spent another two years in seminary. The academic rigor in a lot of ways was sort mm-hmm. of there. I had already mm-hmm. done the work. I was all, I already knew probably, <laughs> already knew, um, knew too much for my own good. <laughs> um, granted, it was, you know, going from a conservative construct to a liberal progressive construct can be, can be very challenging uh, for, for, for many folks in seminary. But for me, I had a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, the foundation was there mm-hmm. uh, academically. Um, and, you know, the hardest part was, was really like, accepting my own calling really it's like well do I want to be a minister do I want to be a pastor you know um I spent a lot of time reflecting on you know having fears around like you know will what happened to me before happen to me again will mm-hmm. my sexuality be used against me will mm-hmm. my addiction be used against me will my um openness and authenticity be weaponized against me because even in the in the, in the liberal progressive church um there are still people who, who hold back, who feel like they have to, um, you know, not be transparent about who we are, that we still mm-hmm. have to find a life that we live mm-hmm. on in, in one space and a life that we live in another space. And so that to me was a struggle. And I had to, um, again, follow, um, be open to, to ensuring that where, I was headed was was a space where I can live my truth mm-hmm. and that again is hard hard work and hard to really um put into words around what it means but it does mean surrounding yourself with um, honest people for me it means leading with the truth right mm-hmm. you can't you can't you can't tell me you can't um reveal to me or to anyone else what what I told you first. Um, and so it's about being authentic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And that to me was, was, was for me, like something that I, that I think saved me uh, mm-hmm. from, from those fears and that, and that battle and that challenge. Also, seminary for me was where I got to learn about Black liberation. I think mm-hmm. I've talked about, um, well, if I haven't already, it's clear that a lot of spaces that I was in were white spaces. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ways that I understood God was a white God. And a lot of the ways that I understood the Bible was in a very, um, you know, traditional way that um, tends to be silent about sexuality, silent about race, silent mm-hmm. about gender, mm-hmm. um, you know, traditional American pie-like. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, seminary was, I was, and I'd heard of, you know, liberation theology or black liberation theology or latin american liberation theology but suddenly i was connected with a framework uh, a spiritual construct that that 
that didn't shame me, but embraced me. I think mm-hmm. liberation theology and understanding that, 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 you know, the God of the oppressed and the preferential option of the poor and that, you know, that, that Jesus um, was a great liberator and that those he um, surrounded himself with were not charity cases, mm-hmm. but, but, but the instruments through whom he would actually work uh, for liberation and that mm-hmm. much of the Christianity that exists in our society today is, is an anathema, is, a, is, is really a betrayal of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so getting to connect with that, and I think there was a way in which a cosmos, you know, this is in, you know, 2013, 2014, right? And so we're talking about, you know, um, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and, and, um, and just an opportunity also really, really not only internally experience uh, this, this revival, if you will, around reimagining who God is and rereading mm-hmm. You know the same text that I had all that I've been reading all my life, but just with with a new lens. Mm-hmm. There was an external affirmation and, and, and validation of what I was seeing in the world, and how I was able to view real world circumstances that connected with, you know, um, mm-hmm. what was actually going on in the world, juxtaposed to let's say 10, 10 or fifteen years prior, when you know our country's in war and and we're like you know charging, storming the gates of terror, you know, against terrorism and, mm-hmm. and, and the way which that was all like spiritualized as if, you know, you know, we're like fighting for God's values and democracy and Christianity. Um, there is a way in which not just our internal um, spirituality can sometimes be a fight against God, but our own social circumstances and constructs can also be, mm-hmm. um, can also kind of like keep us bound mm-hmm. in a really, really unhealthy, um, destructive spirituality and relationship. And so I, 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 all of this is happening at the same time. And for me, it all connected. I think that when you're in tune with the universe and in tune with those, um, and in tune with society in a way publicly, I think there's a way that, 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 that our private spiritual experiences can connect with what's happening in public that can really um, create a sense of power and, and a sense of authority and a sense of hope that that can get us through these these dark times. And so I'm just really grateful that my seminary experience, and I went to Union Theological Seminary here in New York City, um, was, was one in which um, what was happening, the transformation that was happening in me, I was able to, to really um, put that into practice by being in solidarity with uh mm-hmm. with even with my own with my own survival in you know in the world and we're able to connect you know there's not just young black men being killed by police but mm-hmm. it's all of us that are being um threatened by um by forces that that are in place to um prevent us from 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 thriving yes and being who we are. yeah <laughs> Well said. Well said. Well, my friend, I'm glad we went deeper because <laughs> your story is so relevant. It's so relevant in so many ways that 
you know, as a, as a black man growing up, you know, as a black child in the whiteness of where you grew up. Mm -hmm. um, And, and I love that you brought in the, you know, the white God, because, you know, all of the Jesus pictures that I saw growing up was the kind of dirty, blonde haired white boy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, never, never in a million years growing up what I have thought that Jesus was not white and that Mm -hmm. Jesus was not Christian Mm -hmm. and Jesus is not white and he was Mm -hmm. not Christian. And he, Mm -hmm. he was, you know, you know, Middle Eastern and Jewish and was in synagogue and, you know, we're praying to, to something that was created by others Mm -hmm. when really, um, you know, what you're saying is so true that, that, the whitewashing and the not allowing the real history of our nation to, mm-hmm. to come into our schools and learning about how it really went and how it still goes mm-hmm. um, is beyond me that we're in 2022 and we're still battling racism to its most ugly side. It's, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's, it's when people say, oh, well, it's better. Well, what porch are you standing on? Because oh, exactly. it's not better. It is. It has been morphed into something that looks acceptable, mm-hmm. but it is far from better. And so the lies that we that we did that we allowed to be told mm-hmm. back in the day, we've now just kind of put a different lens on it for people mm-hmm. to think it's better when yeah, it's, been it's modernized. It's been modernized. It's been yes. modernized. Yeah. It's been modernized and, and um and it's not haphazard. Yeah. It is intentional. Oh, oh yeah. It is intentional. Yeah. The way that we um are have been taught mm-hmm. is not just, you know, an evolution of ideas. <clears throat> um it's all being laid bare today. It's all being, you know, the the like it's it, you know, from abortion to anti-trans bills to critical race theory yes. to um, capitalism and authoritarianism, all the things, the banning of books, or the burning of books, really, all of these things is very much connected to, um, to really, really trying to preserve power. And, and, uh, and if, if people, if you can keep people, you know, in a, in a, in a, you know, decrippling mentality around who they are and um, somehow doubting that, that who you are is who you're supposed to be mm-hmm. and that, and that you are poor, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that your poverty is your own fault, whether mm-hmm. it's spiritual or physical, mm-hmm. then, um, then those, then those with power and privilege will 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 we'll keep it and maintain it and sustain mm-hmm. it and so um it's very much connected it's very mm-hmm. much connected to those who are struggling with her- heroin addiction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um very much connected with those who are you know women who and, and people who are pregnant wanting to make decisions about their own bodies is very much mm-hmm. uh, connected to people who just want to um you know, be liberated from living from paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And if we can keep people uh, in in this kind of a, you know, again, uh, bondage, really, mm-hmm. 
um, then um, again, the few get to have power over the many. And so liberation is so uh, essential uh, for everyone in whatever situation mm-hmm. or circumstance you are in order for us to be able to live wholesome lives, mm-hmm. period, period. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, I'm wondering because, you know, with recovery, things like this, and it's not an excuse, you know, nothing is an excuse for an addiction, but mm-hmm. there are things that contribute to, to reverting back to other patterns of, of choice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when these, when these things happen, like when you see another man shot or another mm-hmm. trans person killed or, mm-hmm. you know, help people to understand what you learned in recovery that you need to always be presently thinking because those are triggers. It's sort of like if somebody comes up to me and they did the, they, they did the other day on a post where I was posting about something. I don't know if I said this in the last show or not, but I had posted just a basic post about Martin Luther King day and in my neighborhood Facebook group mm-hmm. and why we weren't going to have trash pickup because we're mm-hmm. celebrating Martin. And I had posted something, a quote he had made that said something about hate and something about, Uh, love. And Mm -hmm. a response came back. (laughs) So totally out of the blue, someone else in the neighborhood said something about, well, this is the problem with how people da, 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 da. And the last thing he said was, but please understand that I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. sinner. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and my brain snapped and I thought it took me all the way back to when I was trying to figure out that I was even gay and, you know, that Mm -hmm. was a trigger for me that sent me back to all that dogma and all the things that people said, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve Mitch and all this kind of stuff. So those are triggers that can send us back down that rabbit home of phobia. So with all of these, uh, the things that are still part of the problem, the oppression, the Mm -hmm. deaths, the killings, Mm -hmm. the refuse, Mm -hmm. the lines that they draw to see where people are going to vote to keep people in power. How do you stay clean and, you know, out of addiction? What is, what is, what do people need to hear you say for yourself? And I know this is only for you, but that might be a light for them to stay healthy. Well, I think that it all, it all, it all begins and ends with community. Mm. It all ends and begins with care. Um, you know, a lot of oftentimes whenever we are free from, it's so easy to disconnect mm-hmm. from the past. One of the reasons why I love the opportunity to talk about life is because it reminds me, because I can forget real quick, you know, mm-hmm. I get online or, you know, get with my little like, you know, social bubble here and be like, mm-hmm. I'm free, I live in Brooklyn, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't live in Texas. Yeah, I don't live in Florida, never have, never will kind of a mentality. I mm-hmm. think it's very easy for us to disconnect, but the killing and the self-harm and the destruction and even the authoritarianism and mm-hmm. the poverty, it all reminds us that we're disconnected from people, mm-hmm. that trans, Black trans women are being killed, yeah, because of hate and transphobia. Mm-hmm. They're also being killed because of a, um, a deep disconnect that those who believe that 
trans women or women, those who believe that every life has value and dignity and worth are still disconnected mm-hmm. from, you know, we're kind of siloed. We have our good jobs, particularly in the, in the LGBTQ community, you know, cis gay, cis gay men, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we, we get these jobs and these careers and these degrees and these, and, you know, these condos <laughs> and our gay clubs and our sex parties. And we just kind of like, you know, become, you know, very narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And that's just not cis gay men, uh, not just cis, cis gay white men, but I think that it's all of us with privilege who see ourselves as, um, you know, the past is behind us, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the um, you know, the, the, the future is in our hands now. We've kind of figured it out. Whenever, you know, Transgender Day of Remembrance comes around, it's an opportunity for us to remember how disconnected we are mm-hmm. and how, you know, capitalism always needs, always requires, you know, um, capitalism feeds on uh, the, on poverty. It feeds on, um, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, the disrespecting or dismissal of of the other. And in order for people to be rich, someone has to be poor. Mm. And so we have to constantly um, put ourselves in in the realm of care Mm -hmm. and be connected to those who are being shot. Yeah, the police are killing young black men it's an epidemic in our country, but not because police are, are, are innately um, trained to right. kill. Right. That state is very much connected with slavery and we can go on and on about that. But I actually think that when we connect with, with the incarcerated, when we connect with communities of, um, of risk and poverty and harm, um, we protect when we connect with those who are, um, you know, having to resort to sex work, you know, sex work mm-hmm. is work, I believe it, mm-hmm. but have to do it in order to survive. Right. When we connect with these communities and mobilize our resources to take care of our people, um, we, um, we, we prevent them from being at the intersection of death mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, whether it's, you know, um, violence like today, the president is coming to New York to back the blue, the headline said on the news, and to talk about, you know, supporting our police when, you know, where is the, the framework to talk about, you know, lifting people out of poverty, mm-hmm. lifting people out of despair mm-hmm. that lead to the violence. The violence, um, is not a movement of people hating police. The, the violence comes from constantly being in a state of survival. Right. Surrounded by so much privilege and so mm-hmm. much resources where the only way to make it is, 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 to, um, is to have to be violent in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's putting ordinary people at risk um, mm-hmm. because we're so isolated and cut off from one another. So mm-hmm. um, when it, so to, to go back to the question of, of how does it prevent um, us all from 
the word in the recovery movement is relapsing, mm-hmm. reverting back to. Mm-hmm. I think that um, when you stay connected to people, mm-hmm. and when you are constantly positioning yourself to be part of the solution, like staying free from drugs for me is less about resisting the urge to use and more about staying connected with those who are still using, mm-hmm. those who are still relapsing, those who are still like always being being there to be reminded of who mm-hmm. you were and what and what and what I am capable of mm-hmm. if given a, a different circumstance. I mean, and that mm-hmm. different circumstance could just be like, you know, it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It it doesn't it doesn't have to be the big earth shattering thing. It's it's anything that throws you off your game at any given day. Mm-hmm. And it could what did they used to say if you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Lonely, tired. Yep. Any yep. of those things can can recreate the the relapse and anything, anything. And anything. So if you're not yeah. if you're not but being connected with people, I think reminds me that I am not exceptional, right. that I am not above right. anyone else. Right. And that and that on any given day, I could be the one killed on the corner because I'm because I'm still black. Always <laughs> have been, always will be. Still I'm still queer. Yeah. Always will, always have been, always will be. Um, just because I'm not a black trans woman, there are there are black gay men, white gay men yeah. whose heads get bashed in every yes, day. Yes, every day. Every day. Every day. And and people then it's happening to people, not because these are poor black, you know people mm-hmm. it's not because they're trans but just because we live in a violent mm-hmm. world kids mm-hmm. are getting shot in schools i mean you just name it you name it you name it mm-hmm. this all speaks to the symptom here the violence is only the symptom mm-hmm. the underlying problem is disconnection mm-hmm. and our um, abandonment of community and solidarity and care that's being labeled socialism or victimhood or whatever it is that the latest, you know, talking head or pundit mm-hmm. is saying. But what we need to do is take care of one another. And that's yeah. the Well, I like how you said connect to protect because mm-hmm. we can't protect people that we don't see. We can't protect people that we don't have a story alignment with. Mm-hmm. And and the, the thing that aligns us is that we are all human. Mm-hmm. And we are all here living this experience together to help each other. And we've have forgotten that part that it's not just about somebody else getting ahead. It's about all of us getting to the end together. Yeah. And so yeah. I love that connect to protect. Yeah. yeah. I, I really, I really love talking to you and I really love, I love your perspective on life and that it is so hopeful, even though it's been darker, you know, mm-hmm. that you went through the, the dark nights of the soul and that you mm-hmm. were able, you're now able to look back and honor that part as, as what you needed to go through mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. finally get to the other side. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really, really appreciate you going deeper with me today. Mm-hmm. Before we end, I would like for you to, to, to tell people, you know, what is the thing that you want? What is the one takeaway? And I know I like the connect to protect, but that was just me because I like words rhyming. But um, what is the one takeaway from this going deeper with you that you want people to take away from this? Really just be open, Mm -hmm. you know, 
explore your own joy. Um, you know, it's okay to to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to even be as practical as calling in sick. <laughs> Take a mental health day. Uh-huh. Um, it's better to pause than to press on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there is a purpose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that like, you know, everything happens for a reason or that your pain or your abuse and your trauma was somehow, you know, some kind of a sick, twisted way that God <laughs> is trying to rebuild you and mold you. I don't mean that when I say everything has a purpose. I mean that we can find meaning and purpose in, in, in everything and value. And sometimes that, that purpose and value is just um, to uh, shine the light on it so that it doesn't happen to someone else. Mm-hmm. I think that um you know and and you know whatever resources we have whatever opportunities we have um we 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 should always strive to mobilize them to help help others you know and i don't mean like giving a dollar to the i mean it it may include that for some people to a homeless person like those you know i mean those that's all good but really, really constructing mm-hmm. uh, a community and relationships of care, mm-hmm. you know, of care. And, mm-hmm. the, and, and it's not just about making the world a better place, but it's really about self-preservation. Um, you know, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, be of value to anyone if I'm not, First, you know, taking care of myself. And when I am of value to other folks, I am taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, if we wanted to go to the to the to the to the to the situation where we're giving someone else a dollar or a quarter <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, you're really you're really giving, you're really investing in yourself. Yes. You know, when we when we are when we are being and, and in a very practical sense, because you know, um, my, our lives are at risk at any at any moment of the day. And the more mm-hmm. we can um, be of service to others, the more we are protecting ourselves from harm. Because mm-hmm. harm happens because harm happens from disconnection. And the more connections we make to others, we are lessening um, the risk of harm. Mm-hmm. in all ways, in all forms. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So thank you. Thank you for honoring us another part of your story. And I really appreciate this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is so beautiful. Thank you for reaching out. Um, thank you so much for, um, for amplifying my experience to, mm-hmm. to the masses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and as I said, you know, like it, even even this even this opportunity for me has caused me to pause mm-hmm. um, from the you know the needs of the day to mm-hmm. reflect back onto how it is mm-hmm. um, I, I I am here and, and get to be here and how I got 
to do this work. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. And guys, I want to thank you for continuing to come back each week, week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Remember that if you want to see more information and links to connect with Michael, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And if you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God. If you are authentically gay, God has always been within you, even when you didn't know it. You have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out our Facebook group called Gay With God. See you guys next week.